And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. I love you. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 58. I'm Chris Honeywell and I am here with my bestest buddy, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Good. <laughs> and as promised, it's going to be a little different episode we, I know we didn't say specifically when or what we were going to do, but we're going to do a little catch-up with Indiana Jones. We've been neglecting him the last few months. And been sitting over there on the counter just sobbing his little heart out. Like, so, but yeah. I didn't want to talk about Star Wars. I don't want to talk about me. It's not my fault. Just, just, one, just one movie and you guys just abandoned me. So we, It was my idea to do Crystal Skull. <laughs> So, we decided to show him a little love. Yeah, we're going to pay extra attention to him. Plus, so be, I don't know about you. Less Star Wars this month. Yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm in no hurry to get through, you know, mm. the, the last little bits of, of Marvel Star Wars. Because I'm going to no. be really sad when it's all over and mm -hmm. done. It's, uh, it's kind of nice now because we're getting a nice little end run. Yep. You know, that's sort of like... Um, takes us right back to the beginning of it all of a sudden mm -hmm. and uh it sort of takes the sting out of or just puts a band-aid on the fact that yeah we pretty much polished off the marvel star yep. wars because once we get past this next I, I think there's two more stories that are um infantino drawn if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. and then after that it's that weird stuff it's that you know, the stuff that truly was, you know, UK only. I mean, I, I realize these Infantino stories are too, but they have the flavor of Marvel Star Wars. Oh, yeah. That stuff right. that wound up in true. Devil Worlds really doesn't. Because it's Alan Moore, and it's really trippy and weird, and the art's very bizarre, and yeah, it's Marvel Star Wars, but it's not that classic feel, and so that stuff won't have the same feel for me, I don't think. It's almost think. like a curiosity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's more of a curiosity than a, wow, you know, this really recaptures that feel mm -hmm. type of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not in any hurry to be done with it. Although, when we're done with it, uh, I think we know what we want to do now, because uh, I understand that you made uh, quite mm -hmm. the uh, discovery the other day. Now, I don't know who gave these to me, or if I, like, bought them in somewhere. I think somebody, they probably came in one of Ke Kelly Logue's 
Mm-hmm. But it could have been like there, it could have been a bunch of people. It could have been Mark Kambach. Somebody sent me, and I'd forgot or whatever. But I was arranging all my um, all my collected comics. You know, my trades and big collections and stuff. And I found I've got three of the Dark Horse trades of classic Star Wars covering the Al Williamson newspaper strips, which is something we're going to be getting to, so I'm really happy that I won't be reading them off my computer screen. So, I think that's whoever cool. sent me these, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be awesome because, uh, you know, you and I were comparing notes on this the other day, and uh, I have volume two and volume three of that. So I think you have all three of them, right? Looks like I have all three, yeah. Yeah, I have volume two and volume three, but what the stories that make up volume one, uh, I bought as they were coming out in individual issues. So I have all that stuff too. So that's really cool that, you know, we, we have it all, you know, as actual mm-hmm. paper issues to go through. I think that's cool because, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, as much as I love reading stuff on the iPad or whatever, a lot of this stuff, especially when it comes to the Star Wars stuff, I want the actual stuff. I want the actual paper issues. I'm not contented to just be reading some, you know, digital file or whatever. I actually want to own all this stuff. So, and flipping through it, it looks like the art is gorgeous. Oh so yeah, it looks like yeah. it's going to be very enjoyable. Definitely. Well, I'm trying to think if I've really got anything Star Warsy, and and not really. I mean, w- the main thing I've mm. got is actually going to come later in in our uh, in our like uh, our next section, essentially. So I kind of want to save on to it for that. Did you hear that the the um the R twos in the next Star Wars are going to be fan made? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, there was an article I was reading all about that. He looks that's pretty good awesome. too. Yeah, I think well, that's we've neat. we've seen some of those at like at Star Wars Celebration mm-hmm. and Dragon Con, and I remember watching them and going, "Man, these fan made ones are far superior to the you know the original R 2s That you know they got them under control, so they can remote control them really well. And I like the idea that Disney's like bringing in fans to help out. That's that's a good sign. I like it. I, I I like that they're being in, included in it. Definitely. And who who better to do it, you know, than the people who are insanely intense about it? They probably have some Wookiee cosplayers or whatever. But I, what was funny is the article that I read. Sort of the focus was like, "Oh my God, R two D two is going to be in the next Star Wars movie," and it's like, "Yeah, R two D two better. R two and three P O are the only characters that you can sort of." go for a given that would be in a star wars numbered movie right yeah that's the thing at first you know there was that news article that came out that said that you know that you know r2d2 is you know confirmed to be in the next movie and i was like yeah that's that really news? nice is that yeah exactly is that because you know i thought wasn't that kind of a given yeah. you know news would be like Darth not Peter gonna confirm to be in it, and I'd be like, "Whoa, wait, what?" <laughs> you know. So yeah, R two, yeah, kind of, kind of was expecting him to be there anyway. It would be big news if he wasn't going to be in it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like I say, my my uh, my thing to discuss kind of ties into all that, so I want to I'm going to save on to that for now. But okay, sorry if anybody hears any crinkling. I'm eating my. <laughs> My nerd lunch, which is teriyaki beef jerky and cherry soda. Mm. Mm. How 
unprofessional can you be? My stomach Munch is in your a very unpleasant place. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who would happen to be in there, for myself, I'm enjoying it, but I'm sure the mixture in there is is pretty bizarre. <laughs> well, you munch away, my friend, and uh, and I will carry the next little bit because we're going to do something that we <laughs> we sadly are we just suck at this. Let's just be mm-hmm. honest. We're going to cover some feedback, some uh, emails that we have received. We've got a nice little uh, stack here that's come into the uh, Two True Freaks email box. And uh, you know what? I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, although I cheated a little bit, I put a couple that aren't directly Star Wars related into this pile. But for the for the most part, the Star Wars Monthly Monday pile is larger than all the other piles. So that's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, you know, we've been kind of slacking off on this department, so I thought, well, you know, while we're kind of taking a break from the Star Wars comics this time around, let's go ahead and address some of this email. So we got a nice one here, nice long one here from uh, Scott Rifen. This one's just simply titled, Latest Monthly Monday, so I have no idea what episode he's referring to. Uh, This is dated October 7th, so I guess this was last month's episode. But anyway, yeah, Scott that would says, make sense. He says, uh, in the latest episode of Star Wars Monthly Monday, you talked about the quote-unquote cut-and-paste nature of the Kingdom of Ice reprint in Marvel Illustrated Star Wars paperback. So one of the joys of the Wild Space Volume 1 for me has been the ability to take all the material that I previously had not, or excuse me, had only read in the paperback reprints and see the panels as they were originally drawn. I agree wholeheartedly. He says they're a lot less claustrophobic now. With regards to Scott Lynch's letter, the first one, I agree that Infantino's style didn't sit well with me as a youngster purely because it was so stylized. Uh, But I know this, the stories he drew resonated strongly with me, and I can't believe uh, that was just a case of writing uh, rising above the R. It has to be that the storytelling was so powerful that those stories stuck with me. I love Valance the Hunter and his look, though his first appearance wasn't drawn by Infantino. Uh, his defining stories were. And while I couldn't imagine a terrific villain like Ormond Tag without the bizarre eyewear, uh, I can't think of anyone else besides Infantino who could have designed them. Now, there's someone I'd like to see a convention here cosplay as. Yes, absolutely. Ormond Tag? That would be cool as hell. That would be really cool. I don't think I've ever seen anybody from that era cosplayed as, have we? Uh, it would be really interesting because it would be the kind of cosplay where like four people came up to you in the midst of a huge convention and go, I know who you are. <laughs> and yeah. three of them would be you, me, and Scott Rifund, and the fourth <laughs> would probably be Josh Bertoni. <laughs> True. But that that would be cool. That would be really neat. Hell, I might check into doing that myself. That's, that's a character I could <laughs> potentially pull off right there. I think that would be really cool. But, you know, I mean... Uh, on the one hand, I agree with you. Maybe on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know, though. I mean, there are, we're finding that there are a lot more people that have a, a fondness for this material mm-hmm. than we originally thought, you know? Hence the fact That's we're true. still talking about it five years later, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, because remember, there was that one guy at Celebration who was dressed as Concept Luke. You know, the Aqualung Luke. Right, and people were losing their minds over him and wanting to get their picture with because that was really cool and that was one of those things you were like, wow, you know, that's really obscure, yet you know you're amongst your people, man. I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're there for the obscure references, so I don't know, but yeah, I agree. I I would love to see more people 
cosplaying as uh, comic, book, you know, Mar- Marvel, com- or, yeah, Marvel Comics, Star Wars stuff. Because I mean, I've never seen it at an actual convention, but I found somebody on Facebook that cosplays as Lumia at conventions, and mm-hmm. damn, she looks good too. I mean, the costume's really sharp, the, the light whip, and all that. Really good stuff. Yeah, I saw those pictures. And, you know, recently, I think it was Andy Leyland just put a picture up of a poster that he saw in a shop that was all Marvel, mm-hmm. mostly Marvel covers. Mostly, yeah. And, um, you know, we were sort of discussing that, yeah, it, it seems like, at least in the sort of pop culture sense, the Marvel Star Wars comics are coming back. Mm-hmm. And that might be because of the new movie coming up. It might be just because people are starting to discover the really neat covers and maybe that's leading into it or it might be disney's and marvel are starting to you know stir the pot a little bit and i think it's a concept out a little more because that that 80s nostalgia is still you know right on strong well you know going strong too so i think that might have something to do with it but yeah i I agree with you there does seem to be something of a resurgence i'm seeing a lot more t-shirts and Mm-hmm. That poster you're talking about, I really want a copy of that. Yeah. I gotta find that. Somebody sent me a link to where you can order it online, and I immediately lost it. So I, I, I need the link again. But um, I'd love to just stumble across it in a shop and not have to worry about you know shipping and it getting all dinged up or something like that. But yeah, I definitely got to get me a copy of that because it's really cool. Uh, let's see. Scott continues here. He says on the Cynthia Martin front, he says, you know, it was. Uh, you know, it was the great man. What the hell is he? Oh, okay. You know, it was the great man love I have for you guys that made me decide to reread Marvel Star Wars straight through with a fresh eye towards the material. And I really tried to give Cynthia Martin the benefit of the doubt. But try as I might, I couldn't feel any better about her than I did when I first read those books. Ah, oh, you're breaking my heart, dude. You know what I just realized? What's Every that? time we go someplace like a convention and talk about star wars mm-hmm. we pick up a new podcast because <laughs> that's how we got hope mullinex and scott rife on all right we need from, to start from a now. star wars yeah i know i'm just teasing <laughs> no you're right yeah, we gotta clam up man <laughs> Uh, and he says, uh, and I will also say that back in the day, my revulsion was immediate. It wasn't that the art got sloppy later. For me, I disliked the art the second I saw it. I, I did also realize upon rereading the material that Joe Duffy's scripts had gotten pretty bad by then uh, as well. And so I'm not sure that that, uh, uh, so I'm sure that didn't help matters. Sales had fallen over 50% from the days of Empire Strikes Back, which were down from the days of the first film. Never feeling that Cynthia Martin was someone uh, they were trying to cultivate, so they let her experiment with the title that was going down in flames anyway. It's not just her cartooniness that bothers me. It's that she set the look of Star Wars so firmly in the 80s visually, uh, when it should have seemed timeless. I will agree that uh, Lumia is a terrific character, but most of that feeling extends from my goodwill towards the original uh, Michelini, Simonson, and Palmer story. Joe Duffy should be congratulated for following up on that story in the most logical fashion. I don't think she always did. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I don't, don't know. know. I, don't, I don't agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't agree, and... Uh... Maybe about... Maybe I'm, I'm more in agreement in the Joe Duffy writing department, because... But I don't know if it was steadily downhill, but just very inconsistent. 
you know sometimes it was fantastic sometimes it was really cheesy um it, it suffers in hindsight it suffers i think when you meet it read it all in mass and also i think it suffers when you read it now all these years later as an adult in the context of all the other star wars that we've gotten it just doesn't quite hold up as awesomely as it did back then but you know, I, I have never made any bones about the fact that I cannot be objective about this material. You know, I, I'm too attached to it. So I will cut it a lot of slack. But when it comes to the Joe Duffy stuff, I, I see the criticisms in there. It's not quite as awesome as I remember it to be, most of it. But then some of it's spectacular. I still mm-hmm. think that Luke mm-hmm. and Lumia's fight uh, is is epic stuff. And the art, I mean, I will defend Cynthia Martin through that arc, you know, and, and the issue that she did, um, tie, you know, the one with, uh, Leia and the Nagai right. that she befriends past that point. I I'll agree that the art took a nosedive and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Martin. I don't know if it's the inkers. I don't know if it was rushed. I don't know if she just didn't care anymore. I don't know what went on, but yeah, those last couple issues, the art took a serious nosedive. But when she first hit that book, to me, it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I really oh, yeah. looked at it and said, wow, I love this art style. And I think you and I both said as we approached that stuff when we were doing our reviews that we were both really nervous to reexamine it. Like, would it hold up? Would it be as good? And uh, and I'm very happy to, to discover that I think it does. I don't think that the 80s thing... While I agree with what Scott said, it's very 80s, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I'll give you a great example. I went back a couple years ago and tried to reread Longshot, the original Art Adams uh-huh. miniseries. Uh-huh. I loved that shit when it so came did I. out in the 80s. I started reading it, and I was like, holy shit, is this dated? I mean, it just wow. was painfully dated. It was like trying to watch like horrible 80s MTV videos where the songs were never that good anyway. Yeah, Yeah. and you just watched it going, wow, I can't believe I ever liked this. And I I felt really bad because I was a huge... I mean, the very first con I ever went to, I cosplayed as that character. So I was Mm -hmm. really attached to Longshot and trying to reread that mini and not being able to stomach the look of it anymore broke my heart. And so I was really afraid that this Cynthia Martin era would feel the same way, that I'd have that same painful discovery of, wow, this is really bad. And I didn't. I I think it's still really good up to a point. It's essentially, it's through that arc where Luke and, uh, Luke and Lumia finally fight and he takes her down and then the Nagai yeah. show up. And shortly after that, like I say, I just... I don't know what it is. I don't know if she was in an experimental phase or her heart went out of it or she knew the book was doomed or what was going on. But, yeah, it does take a, do- a nosedive, and I, I don't argue that. But up until that point... She was doing I, comedy really stories. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah, very so, much so. I, I uh, suspect that both her and Duffy kind of lost their... You know, when they realized that the end was nigh, I think they just both kind of didn't care anymore. Yeah. But like I said, I've tried to get both of them on the show to talk about this, and and neither one of them uh, seems particularly yeah. interested. So it's um, all speculation. My big question is: Do any pictures exist of you dressed up as Longshot? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's uh, a good question. Michelle might have great. some. I'd have to ask her. Those would be great on the on the website. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> That's a good question because I don't have any, but uh, but my aunt or or Michelle may. I really don't know. I'd have to I'd have to ask her if she does. This was in the days before every cosplayer got eight million pictures taken of themselves. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, let's see, a little bit more here. He says, uh, I think that run also suffers from the experiments with flexographic printing that cropped up in that era. Oh, absolutely. I will totally agree. That's why that coloring is so wacky in that. It says, Marvel tested it on several of their lower-selling titles, Marvel Tales and Star Wars, to name a couple, and the results were garish, to say the least. If Martin's art had been delivered with a more su- uh, subdued color palette, it may have been more tolerable. Most, but not all, of the stories would uh, still have been unreadable, even if Simonson had drawn them. Hmm. Wow. Wow, I think you're really hard on this stuff, dude. Wow, so man. See you guys run through the daily strips from start to finish after you wrap up those loose Marvel ends. Looking forward to hear your take on Planet of Fire. The hell one is that? I don't know which one that is. That's coming up in the um Is it? In the wild space, yeah. Oh, okay. So regardless of what you cover next, I'm in. And again, that's from Scott Rifen. Thank you very much, Scott. I do appreciate uh your email on that. I may not agree with all the points, but you do raise some interesting uh some interesting points there. I do appreciate it. Oh, you're gonna love this next one, Chris. Oh. <laughs> this next one, here's the title. Guess you guess if you can see who it's from. Cliff has been wronged. Oh, God. Him again? Yes, it's our buddy, the Irredeemable Shag. And he says, hey, freaks. This is really enjoying recent episodes of Star Wars Monthly Monday. It's been a strange experience because for the first time you are covering comic material I've never read. So it's, it's uh, it's a fun journey so far, and I'm looking forward to more. In regards to comments on Infantino Star Wars art, I can see both sides. I came to Star Wars comics during Simonson's era, so I viewed Infantino's Star Wars as clunky and poorly drawn. As I've grown grown older, I've come to appreciate Infantino's style and enjoy the bombastic action of the book during his tenure. Glad to hear Scott. Well, before we... All right, so before we go down to the next part, any any comments on that? No. I'm I'm in agreement (laughs) so far. Yeah, I am too. I, I so mean, this... far, Shag, Shag's doing good. He's walking on eggshells. He hasn't uh, <laughs> pissed me off yet. Well, this all spins out of uh, you know Scott Lynch's letters to us on this subject of you know why why does everybody love or give a pass to Infantino and uh, and Cynthia Martin? I, I think Scott Rifen's letter is a perfect example of well, I don't think everybody does give a pass to it. And I don't disagree with uh, with Shag's you know assessment here of of Infantino as clunky, clunky and sometimes poorly drawn. I, I see him that way sometimes. As a matter of fact, I'm making my way through uh, something I haven't read in years. I'm rereading right now um, Strange Adventures, the the issues starring Dead Man, and a lot of the backup features in there are Infantino. And I've been taking a look at them, and it's weird because I want to love them because here's you know a guy that I, I closely associate with something I love, Marvel Star Wars, yet eh, just not really feeling it, you know, because it's it's Infantino. So it, clearly, it's the Star Wars side of it that gives me you know allows me to give him a pass on that art style. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Anyway, Shag continues, he says, Glad to hear Scott is enjoying the legacy of the Force so much. 
I was an avid reader of the Star Wars EU novels, but the new Jedi Order storyline, the Yuuzhan Vong stories, kind of killed my passion. You know, I've heard a lot of people saying that same thing. So, note to self, don't bother with the new Jedi Order stuff, because I'm hearing it's not very good. Uh, He continues, he says, It was Legacy of the Force that brought me back to the Star Wars EU novels. Great series. Each is individually solid, but together they paint a wonderful tapestry. While I'm not a prequel hater, I'm not a prequel lover either. Jason's descent into evil during Legacy of the Force was very believable, and I wished Anakin's uh, journey had been equally so. Can't wait wait to hear Scott's thoughts on Jaina's journey during this series. Hmm. Okay. I will be talking about that, <laughs> hopefully soon. Jaina's journey. says, uh, got a question for Scott. During Legacy of the Force... We got to see Lumia again, and there are quite a few references to Fen Shisa. Clearly the character most neglected is... Pliff. There should have been an entire nine-book cycle dedicated to the rascally rebel of Rodentum. On to the next question. Well, that's not really a question. What was your question? Do I agree? Well, I would like to see Pliff. That was more of a statement, Shag. Yeah, that was a statement. There was no question marks in there. But anyways, on to the question... Uh, excluding Lumia, Fen, and Plif, who else would you like to see from the Star Wars comics make their way into Star Wars EU novels? Hmm. Wow, that's a tough one because, you know, a, a lot of my favorite characters got killed off. You know, I mean, I, right, I, I Valance. immediately Valance comes to mind, but Valance is dead. And I would not want them to resurrect him. As much as I love that character, I like that issue with him and Vader fighting because of the way it ends. And so it would be very cheap to to resurrect him at this point. So he's off the table. Let me see. Who else? I want to see Uh, Hronk from the last... uh... (laughs) Um... I wouldn't mind seeing the Nagai again. I, I mm-hmm. can hear the collective groan of of fandom as I say that, but honestly, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them back. Um, some of the characters at the very end, like in that very last issue, there I can't even remember what their names were, but I remember that that we discussed them. There were a couple like backgroundish characters that I remember seeing, going, "Hmm, I wonder what their story is," and we will never know now. So, um, let me think who else. I always felt like there was more to um, Sister Tag's story. You know, the, the what was her name? Domina? Domina. Domina Tag. I, I always thought there was more to her story than, than was ever you know fully realized. So possibly her. That, you, that's what you and your wife could go cosplay. You could be Baron Tag and she could be Domina Tag. <laughs> um, She'd really be into that, I'll bet. You could yeah, talk her right. into that, right? Yeah, right. Um... I don't know. Can you think of anybody? Um, Zeltrons? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. For some of the more adult novels. Well, I mean, on that subject, I know that Zeltrons have been around. You know, they're mentioned from time to time. Just, you know, she was a Zeltron kind of thing just in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if they could do something, like, truly good with them, like, truly interesting with them, I guess uh, uh, Donnie, Rick, and Cheeto. Possibly. What about what's his, what about what's his name though? Uh, the uh, Donnie's boyfriend there. Fish boy. Fish boy. Um. Oh God, what the hell's his name? Um. 
Are you talking oh, the the one Charlie she, Tuna? You know, yeah, the one that she thinks is dead, or the yeah, yeah, he, that, that was like I must let you know. He sort of he sort of ended his arc, sort of ended on a like right. And now my adventures can begin. Oh my god, that's gonna thing. make me nuts! What the hell's his name? I can picture him and yeah, head. I'm I'm picturing him because there's on that cover right toward the end. He's that, like, he's like a Elf Quest fish, basically. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh my god, there's so many people right now screaming at their iPods going, oh my god, I can't believe you forgot. Oh, I know. What is his name? I'm trying to look it up as fast as I can. It was here. probably six months ago. It was right toward ago. the end of this. It was one of the last issues of this. Kiro. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Kiro. Yeah, because right toward the end of the series, there was that really poor issue where, oh, by the way, he's still alive. I'm like, what? Wait, huh? <laughs> So, yeah, Kiro. Yeah, definitely. I would like to see them pick that up, especially if it's really true that she and the Nagai, uh, the the creepy – see, I can't remember his name now either. It wasn't Knife. It was the other one. Right, right. Um, if they were actually coming together and then suddenly Kiro's back on the scene. So, I mean, if it ever happens, I, I think it will – but if it ever happens that Star Wars winds up back at Marvel, you know, being published, then they could always do, you know, here, here's what I'd love to see. You know, because we've already talked and, you know, people have already warned me saying, you know, I know you're so excited about, you know, Star Wars possibly being done by Marvel again. But, you know, you know it's not going to be the same. Yes, I, I realize that. I realize they're not going to pick up and it's going to be issue 108 and it's going to be like it never ended. I realize that. However, here's an idea. Untold tales of Star Wars, trying to recapture that flavor of the mm-hmm. original series, and and maybe even continuing the story forward a little bit in in an untold tales type you know type of way, they could do that story. Well, they could do that. They could do that. I mean, I would imagine. I imagine there might be several different Star Wars comics like Dark Horse does, you know. They might they might just they might just like you know, take on the Dark Horse model with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it would be it would be good to have uh one on the like original tri- trilogy continuity. Oh, yes. You know, in 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 addition to the one you know, an extension of the original Marvel Star Wars and then they can have the Star Wars based on the new new characters or you know the new storyline mm-hmm. i would love that i think that would be awesome if they if they could do something like that i wonder if there'll be a star wars number or if star wars number one will be the first issue of the movie adaptation hmm i don't know i wonder if they might get it sooner than that or not I don't know, that'd be a good way to start it though going all the way back to the yeah. beginning you know start with the with the first issue yeah I could see that. Oh, Chad concludes here. He just says, keep up the great work. Looking forward to the comic strip coverage. And again, that's from the Irredeemable Shag, a proud member of Who True Freaks, the Fire and Water podcast, and the Who's Who podcast. All excellent shows. Let's see. Next one here. Okay, this one I cheated with. Not strictly related to Star Wars Monthly Monday. Uh-oh. But this is something we need to address because as he points out, he's been very patient with us. And we have (laughs) just been slackers. Anyway, this one is entitled Not Spam, Episode 362, Podcasting Tips. And he has questions. This is from Brian Sievert. 
He says, I sent this in September and never got a reply. <laughs> I don't know if you got it or not. Uh, I hope this finds you this time. And again, thanks for everything you guys do. Your podcasts uh, are sta- a staple of my work day. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. He says, Dear Scott, Chris, and Mike. This would be Michael Bailey. He says, uh, I recently listened to your episode number 362, Podcasting Tips. Thanks for the great episode. As someone in the... Uh, as someone in the boat of, I would love what English dude English. Anyway, says I would love to do a podcast, but haven't figured the technical side out yet. He says this, uh, and Scott and Chris's previous uh, podcasting episode one thirty one are a big help. It's nice to see podcasters trying to help the community to grow. Uh, it seems most podcasters are there uh, behind the scenes work to themselves. Uh, yeah, I yeah I, I agree with that. I think because uh, I don't remember anybody doing episodes like this when we were getting into. I mean, we pestered people behind the scenes, but I don't remember there being like an actual episode saying, "Hey, here's how you do it." Do you? Not not as I recall, anyway. He says I did have a few questions that weren't uh, covered that I hope you could help with. He says, "What do you use to record off of Skype?" I know you guys use Skype a lot for your shows, and I would like to use Skype for my show. Can you recommend a program uh, for the Just Starting podcast? He says, I'm especially interested in programs that are compatible with Macs. There you Mm -hmm. go, Chris. Well, I ran into problems with that, although I'm sure they've made some that work with Macs now. I had to diddle around with my Mac, and I I got a recording program... And Skype is a little funny. Skype, when it, it, it goes through your computer, but it's going through with the people that you hear. So on a Mac, I would I would get, I had to put my voice on a separate track that was just linked to my microphone, and then I had the track from the the voice recorder going onto the same pro, program to capture it. Which was iTunes at the at the time, or not iTunes, but um, oh, what is it called? GarageBand. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I would sync up the two tracks. You know, I, I would give a little countdown. I'm sure there's there's versions of Skype Recorder and stuff for Macs now because now Macs and PCs are pretty much the same hardware, so. And Macs are becoming more and more popular. Um, for a PC, there's a million options. You know, there's CallGraph, there's PowerGrammo, there's Skype Recorder. There's a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, with a Mac, it's more problematic. You know, you're, you're you're more likely going to be using a combination of. I had to actually. I had to use this th- this other program. I had to install a program. That captured ever that captured fa- sound, and I'd had to open that program, and I would have that program linked up to my Skype and to my microphone, and that way I could channel them both into GarageBand. And I'm trying to remember the name of that program. I wish my Mac wasn't dead. I'd just fire it up and. Uh, and check it out, but I cannot remember the name of it. Was Sun something? 
it took I, I I'll be honest with you, it took some work and experimentation to be able to record on a Mac Skype, that is. Once you get everything all recorded, boy, a Mac's great <laughs> to edit and, and stuff like that, but yeah, sorry I can't be more helpful on that. That's <laughs> all right. If you think of it, throw it up on the uh in the yeah. Facebook group. Uh, he says, uh, where do you guys find your background music and sound bites? I know for me, when it comes to music, I mean, you know, if you're talking, you know, the, the, the orchestrated music or what, I mean, I had a massive collection coming in. I mean, I already had tons, cause that's, that is the music that I listen to in my everyday life. You know, I, I don't well, really listen to anything else. Yeah. So I already had a massed. I, I can make a little, little uh, explanation of our of our archives. I mean, when we first started doing a podcast, you sent me a 10-CD DVD set of all, not all your soundtracks, but a lot of them. Yeah, that, sure that was not all of them by any means. That was basically but, what was on the hard drive at the time. Right, right. And um, so Scott has the most, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure uh, Mark... Um, Way back from the soundtrack episode. What's Mark's last name? Buttrick? Buttrick. I'm sure Mark Buttrick probably has a bigger collection than you. His is more diverse, but I think I, I have an actual larger collection by this. As far Because, see, Mark's is impressive because Mark collects the physical media. So he's got a room oh, full oh. of discs, you know, and some of them quite valuable because, you know, he's got all these right. rare discs and everything. Whereas I'm content to own them at this point. In the digital form, digital. I no longer feel the need to have physical media when it comes to music. So I haven't bought a CD in God knows how long. You know, I'm content to just you know, so long as the the cut is good, I'm I'm glad to have it. However, I can get my hands on it. So, um, so Scott's the source of the classy soundtrack, orchestrated <laughs> soundtrack music, and I've been compiling for years and years sound effects yeah. sound effects libraries I stumbled upon once I won't say where but the Warner Brothers mm-hmm. you know sound effects library that one's invaluable um, that that one that one's unbelievable I mean it's it's full it's got thousands of you know two or three second little Warner Brothers sound effects vocally made by like Mel Blank you know the old days guys you know from the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and I've got like a lot of background music from like say Ren and Stimpy. I've been finding a lot of old um, background music from like Dawn of the Dead that they used to play in mm-hmm. in, uh, in industrial music. It's called basically, but not industrial like techno industrial, like made to be played in malls and right. factories and stuff like that. And just the hugest and if I can't find something in, in our library of stuff like that and I think I've got a big chunks of the BBC sound effects library and anything that I stumble across but you can go to YouTube yep. and go to this website called listen to YouTube where you find a soundtrack clip they're all over YouTube, or a sound of people put up sound effects, or a song that you want. You can just go to YouTube, find a good copy of it, take it to that website, and run off an MP3 of it. And I do that quite a bit. I do that too. 
I tell you, um, if you're, if you're just looking for some nice background, you know, like silly backgroundy, lighthearted backgroundy music to put, like say, like under an, an email section, for example, I would highly recommend. There's there's at least two volumes of something that I have called Retro Shopping. I have volumes one and two. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you were talking about with like that Dawn of the Dead mall music kind of stuff. Yep. It's Muzak, but it's that kind of stuff where you're like, hey, I've swanky. heard that before. And it, yeah, it yeah. is. It's swanky. It, it, you know, it's it's classic stuff. And uh, I get the biggest kick out of that stuff. And uh, something else that I found that has really helped me out a lot is, uh, you know, in addition to all the soundtrack stuff that I've already had, is you know i've been an avid collector of disney parks music for a long long time now so whenever i'm i'm trying to think of like a particular mood or or we have to reference a particular thing you know i I, this happened recently we were talking about um a character i think it was on comics monthly monday yeah it was comics monthly monthly monday and mike bailey brought up um batrock the leaper so I just go into my Epcot files looking for, okay, I know I've got some France music somewhere, you know, and I pull that stuff out. So, I mean, it, it, it helps. It's an incredibly diversified collection that there's music for every occasion type of thing. So that helps, too, is just being really broad in the, in the range of music that you use. Good questions. Uh, he says, Chris was referring to uh, that he uses uh, program... If I can read this here, Chris was referencing that he uses a different program for editing than Audacity. What do you use, Chris? It's Audition by Adobe. Audition by Adobe. And, uh, man, I love it. Fast, (laughs) fast, fast. The faster, as with anything, the faster your computer, the faster it works. But I found that Audition is just a very intuitive, it's very similar, it works in several different modes, but you know, I, I found a mode that's very similar to what I used to do in GarageBand, where you can just sort of pop things out. It's very easy to organize all your different clips because sometimes when when we do shows, we'll have you know five, six things going on at once. Sometimes during an especially busy part, and I noticed on um, Audacity. A lot of times, when you start stacking tracks, you have to scroll down and stuff like this. You don't have to stack as much on this. You can cut stuff up, and you could have a whole bunch of things on two different tracks, and um, you know, have it so where you can visually all keep it keep it on your eye. You know, so because I now I haven't used Audacity in since the first days of the show. So it's probably gotten more streamlined since then. But sometimes I would find myself on Audacity playing something, and I would have a bunch of other clips going, and I couldn't see that. I would hear something playing, but I couldn't see, you know, the the little timeline going through it because it would I would have to scroll down to be it, and it could get a little confusing that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I love Audition. It's I I highly recommend it. He says, thanks for any answers you give to shed some light on these questions. Thanks for all the great shows. Again, that's from Brian Siebert. Thank you for writing in, Brian. Let's see here. We've got one that says simply, greetings, freaks. And this one is from a newbie, I think, Greg Kirkman. Hey, he writes that Walking Dead book, right? Yeah. I like that. Maybe it's his younger brother. (laughs) 
He says, Two True Freaks, you are very great. 100,000 pesos, come to Santo Poco, put on show, stop. The infamous El Guapo. <laughs> 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 and he says, Ahem. Greetings, freaks. After many months of deliberation, I finally decided to drop you a line. You guys have given me countless hours of entertainment, so it's only fair to tell you how much I love your various shows. Ah. Uh, uh? <laughs> it all began about a year ago with the late lamented Amazing Spider-Man classics, which led to From Crisis to Crisis, which led to you guys and all the related Demonzacorp programs. Hooked from the start, I quickly began, began to devour your various podcasts. As a huge fan of Marvel, DC, Trek, Wars, etc., I was thrilled to discover all the great episodes you guys have produced. Heck, I even enjoyed it uh, when you read the phone book aloud for your anniversary <laughs> Hey, that reminds me. We're <laughs> creeping up on 400, dude. Are we doing anything special for 400? Ah, I'd rather not. I have a plan for episode 420. 420? But uh, why four? Yeah, but that's a solo podcast. Yeah, oh, that's okay. a storytellers. All right. Um, no, I. You know, I would rather wait to do the next big blowout anniversary show at five hundred. Uh, might not make it that long, too. <laughs> you Get know, it over here. Long. You know, how it won't take long. No, it won't. I can't believe we're creeping up on four. I'm still recovering from 200. Jesus. It won't, it will be at 400 before you know it, man. I know. It's it's like 12 more. Well, at the at the time this episode goes up, it's less than 12, I think. I know, and th- and that's what I'm saying. And and I and my work schedule looks like it's going to be for the next 2 or 3 months. I don't have a I don't have an episode 200 in me in the next couple months. <laughs> the last, 200 almost killed me, man, and we've almost gotten 200 since then. And I'm still still peeling the scabs off that one. <laughs> we'll just make everybody listen to 200 again. Listen to 200 twice. <laughs> so we should just renumber it and put it right back up. <laughs> <laughs> just just loop it, you know, twice and be like twice as long. This is for my. We can, should do a special edition where it's like 30 extra seconds or something like that. Yeah, there we'll, you go. We'll, we'll George Lucas it up for everybody. <laughs> Throw in some Rontos, we're done. 3D sound. This is for my birthday this year. I was inspired to get the Dark Horse Omnibus Volumes reprinting Marvel Star Wars. Well, awesome. that's what you should have done. That's awesome. It says, I've had various issues of the series, mostly from the first half, for most of my life, but you guys fi- uh, made me finally get the whole run. Simultaneously reading through the series and listening to your coverage of it was one of the best comic reading experiences I've had in a long time. I'm now working my way through the Wild Space book as well. I love this email. That's awesome. It says, despite my being 30 years old, uh, I've had enough nerd rage and geeky knowledge to appreciate your discussions and rants. I'm very old school. Modern comics do nothing for me. When it comes to Trek, Wars, and other franchises, it's the original uh, original iterations that make my heart sing. My usual haunt is John Byrne's uh, Byrne Robotics Forum, where I regularly rub elbows with disgruntled nerds twice my age. And I can happily report that while Byrne has strong ideas, he isn't the boogeyman that trolls make him out to be. Uh, he really is very generous with his time and insider's knowledge of the comic biz. Uh, I've had many uh, stimulating discussions with him, particularly regarding our love and anal retentive knowledge of the original Star Trek. 
I've enjoyed his Trek comics immensely, and he uh, and eagerly await his Fumetti Trek annual that's due out in a few weeks. Did you hear about that, by the way? I did hear about that. Yeah, he's doing a Fumetti book for Star Trek, and it's going to be an all-original adventure, but using stills from the existing episodes, which I think is a pretty cool idea, because I agree with Greg, and I think you do, too. His Trek stuff has been awesome. I love Fumetti's, too. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think they're or, or they're cheesy as hell, but I think they're <laughs> a riot. So, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, it probably should be out. It probably should be out actually by now. I'm yeah, thinking. this was this is dated November 9th, so it may be out by now. It says on the flip side, I've been collecting the initial DC Trek comics to read whilst following Star Trek Monthly Monday. Till now, I've had to skip the comic portions of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Soon, I'll be able to go back and read those with you, as I did with Star Wars. Oh, cool! I like that idea that he's skipping it until he can uh, he can actually read along. That's a neat idea. Says, by the I was going to say, you don't have to, but... Right. <laughs> Says, by the way, you guys have never mentioned it on air, uh, but I wanted to be sure that you knew about the www.secrethistoryofstarwars.com uh, and www.savestarwars.com. The Secret History of Star Wars is a phenomenal book, and I'm proud to say that... Uh, our, what the hell was that? It sounded like a cat being choked or something. Was that you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean for you guys to hear that. <laughs> uh, moving right along. At least it wasn't a chicken being choked. <laughs> he says, I'm proud to say I've had many uh, conversations with author Mike Kaminsky, uh, enough to be mentioned in the book's acknowledgement section. That's cool. Says the history of the Star Wars films has sadly been obfuscated quite a bit by Lucas, and uh, this book goes a long way to uncover the truth. Mm-hmm. Without I putting, think, huh? Didn't Bertoni point us to that website once a while I th- ago? I think so. I, I have since acquired a copy of that book and have yet to crack the cover on it. So one of these days, I've got to get around to reading that. I, I started looking I was at it one day in sections like, of it online, and it's very good it, it looks really interesting i just have i've been oh man i'm telling you every it seems like there's not a week that goes by lately i'm not acquiring some new book to read and i'm just buried up with stuff that i want to read here in the, in the next coming you know year essentially so i i just i can't take on any more projects until i i finish the stuff i've already got to read but i do intend to get to this book uh let's see long way to uncover the truth without coming off as an anti-lucas manifesto it's absolutely fascinating reading and wor- a worthy companion to Rin- Rinsler's official Making of Star Wars book series. Yeah, those I want to get, but god damn are they expensive. Because oh, I, I saw the one for Empire. They're beautiful. Yeah, what, they're like 100 or 150 yeah. bucks, something like that. Yeah, they're ridiculous. But they're, but they're beautiful. Yeah, they are beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen the Making of Star Wars, but I saw the Making of Empire. Uh, I think it was when it had just come out. It was featured at some bookstore I was wandering through, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta get this!" And I saw the price tag. I'm like, ah, "I gotta put this back." So, yeah, I yeah, I know. It's that's one of those things where I'm hoping that you know I hit the garage sale where there's a the wife's caught the husband cheating, and while he's <laughs> right. selling all his Star Wars stuff. <laughs> Uh, says, anywho, I just wanted to say how much I love your shows. I'd be honored to podcast with you guys sometime. Uh, if I had any experience or technical knowledge, that is. You guys have already discussed countless topics of interest to me, but here are some friendly suggestions for future topics. So, let's see here. He's got... I just, before you start, I just uh-huh. want to tell him. 
You don't really need any experience or much technical knowledge to be on our podcast. Yeah. To, to be on our podcast. Passion. So let that discourage you. Passion's all you need. Yep. He says the Alien, Terminator, Ghostbusters, Predator, Back to the Future films, uh, among other gems of the 70s and 80s. Uh, I'm I'm up for all of those. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about Back to the Future. Back to the Future is long overdue. It is really really overdue, and I'm thinking at this point, I'm thinking we should just we should just put that one off one more year, put it off till 2015, when the actual anniversary, like the date that they travel to in Back to the Future Two, is in 2015. So. So I, that's, I want to do it. We should start back to the, and it's going to be a Back to the Future week. You know, oh yeah, We've been talking about that for years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm up for all of these. I have we done a commentary for Terminator? It seems to me that was one of our very first ones, wasn't it? I don't think we have. Have we not? I don't. Think there might we think have. of Robocop. We did we, a Terminator episode. But did we do a Terminator we, I, commentary? We have not done a commentary on any of the Terminators. Huh. We did. We did that one. It had um, um, Jose Rivera, or did it have Ziggo? That's okay. You're okay. It was a long time ago. We just talked about all the movies. That was a long time ago. I think it was even. I think it was even building up into the the last Terminator Four. Was it? Mm -hmm. Um, That uh, that we did that. So yeah, we've we've done no commentaries on on any of the Terminator movies and those would be a very interesting set of commentaries let me tell you well you know just to let the the listeners peek behind the curtain you know last night we recorded with our buddies we recorded our uh, our roundtable uh, analysis for Thor the Dark World and something that never got brought up in that is that the guy I have no idea what it, now what his name was but the guy that directed Thor 2 his next project is Terminator which I think is a, oh. a reboot I think oh. of Terminator, so you know who knows. But I mean, and I know it lives. About so. Sarah Connor Chronicles. Love that show. I really did. But yeah, all these subjects. I mean, again, it was Alien, Terminator, Ghostbusters, Predator, and Back to the Future. Hell yeah, I'm down uh, for all, all of those. Yeah, all, all of them. Absolutely. I would have trouble with Ghostbusters on the animated show because I don't think I've ever seen an episode of the animated Ghostbusters, yeah. but the movies, ooh, yeah. yeah. I love both the movies. I, I, I have a real soft spot for uh, for Ghostbusters, too. For that matter, I have a real soft spot for Predator 2 as well. Um, I thought I need Predator to, 2 was really good also. I need to watch both of those again. You know, the first I've never seen any of the other one. You know, the Predator meets, you know, Jason and all that bullshit. But um, <laughs> the first two Predators I liked, and I need to watch them again to, to you, really... You don't need to watch either of the Alien versus... I've only watched one of the Alien versus Predators, and that made sure I didn't watch the second Alien <laughs> versus Predators. It was, it was terrible. But I remember at the time, walking out of the theater of Predator 2, I remember liking the second one better than the first one, which is possibly blasphemy, so that's why I say that I need to see them again, mm-hmm. because I, I know that Bill Robinson's head probably just exploded, but I, I really did dig the second one. I thought it was good. I thought I thought the second one put an added layer of story onto it, and mm-hmm. it was really well executed. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. The films of David Cronenberg, which I get the impression uh, Chris Oliver. likes. He says that's that that could that's more possibly going to happen on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. But if I have anything to do with it, we'll at least 
knock off a couple Cronenberg movies in there because he's one of my favorites of all time. He says, The Fly is one of my all-time favorite films. Off the top of my head, that's the only one of his that I know that I've seen is The Fly. I love that movie. Yeah, and you and I saw that together in Syracuse at the, what, the Carousel Mall, was it? Something like that, yeah. But I do, I love that movie. What what else has he done that I might have seen? Oh, jeez. He do Dune? He did, that's David Lynch. Lynch, okay. He did um, Scanners. I saw that, but I didn't like it. I don't uh, for it either. Dead Ringers. I don't know. Most of his movies wouldn't be at, like something that like I could see. Like Naked, he did the adaptation of Naked Lunch by William Burroughs. None of it really in your in your wheelhouse. Right. Lately, he did that one. He it was a uh, co- I haven't seen it yet. Comics a- adaptation called History of Violence that was supposed to be really good. That was a. Uh, a comic and then he did one on the Russian mob recently that was really good but with Rochester or with Watertown native Vigo Morganston in it <laughs> uh, yeah he's not really doesn't really I mean The Fly was his biggest pop movie at, you know accessible right. movie and I don't know why we went to see it but I remember I remember you were like let's go see The Fly and I was like, okay. And I thought that was a weird choice for you. And then we were both like, wow, that was really good. It was good. Yeah, I really liked that movie. Yeah, I'm not sure why I wanted to go see that either. Cause, uh, it might have been the only know. thing that was playing that was, was a genre movie. Maybe. Uh, he says here, more on the future of Star Wars. Might be nice to have an episode uh, covering the controversy regarding Lucas's suppression of the original films, the special edition changes, and the rights of the artist to alter his or her own work and the various home media releases of the film. I don't know. It seems to me like we've covered that a lot, though, haven't we? Uh-huh. Maybe not necessarily all in one episode, but we have talked about those subjects a number of times. I would refer you, dude, to go all the way back to the beginning because one of our very earliest episodes, I forget the exact title, but it was essentially it was, what if there was ever an episode seven? And at the time, we were like, ha, 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 that'll never happen. And now it's about to really happen. Yes. So. Go back and listen to that one. And you can hear us stymied by trying to figure out like how it would actually be done. <laughs> right. And and uh, another th- a nuts and bolts thing that I want to mention in talking to our webmaster, we have been getting complaints, and some of you might have noticed this, especially if you're listening to Star Wars Monthly Monday, because we're at number 58 now. Um, we've been getting um, not really complaints, but people saying they've had trouble getting back issues well we found out or back episodes well we found out why that was it's because on uh, itunes they only list 50 episodes back from the most recent one so on shows like star wars monthly monday where we're getting into the 58s and 59s you know that there's eight episodes that get dropped off the itunes feed uh which means if you're consuming us by iTunes and you get to a point where you go, geez, it seems like there should be episodes before this, then yes, there are. You, you can come to twotruefreaks.com and we've got them all archived here. So you can just go to their, you know, whatever column it is. If you're subscribed to just Two True Freaks and you get all the podcasts, 
it probably doesn't go back more than a couple months. But at the rate we put out, we're putting out a. Is podcast that just a limitation of iTunes? That's iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, because see, I'm having the same problem with a, a show that I listen to. Uh, only goes yep. back so many, you know, so many years, and the show's been around a whole long time. So I'm trying to listen to the earliest stuff. I have to actually go to the website, which is a complete pain in the ass. Anybody well, that actually is doing that, I appreciate it because I know that it's a complete pain in the ass. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I've talked to a lot of people, and most people are like, if I can't get it through iTunes, then I'm, you know, not inter- It's too. It's too much of a hassle. Well, the the you know. That's cool, but sometimes it's the the sad reality is that you're going to have to, and that's I guess all we can really do about it is have a website with all of it up there so that it's available. So if if you're having trouble finding back episodes, twotruefreaks dot com, and they're all there, and you can catch up. And once you catch up on those back episodes, and you can just stay current on iTunes, and you never have to worry about it. Which is what I advise. Everybody just download every Two True Freaks episode. There you go. Just and sit on them until you have time to listen to them. Trade them with your friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Great Continue series is more on the future of Star Trek. How and why the original series endures and how the Abrams films, which horrify me to no end, factor into the public perception of the franchise. Oh, I imagine we're going to be talking that about happens. that for some yeah, time. Yeah, we have little we have little mini flame-ups in Star <laughs> Trek Monthly Monday. But, you know, we're really limiting ourselves because we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to hurt ourselves. So we just keep it to, like... We'll we'll rant a little bit during we'll 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 take a few punches at JJ. Yeah, it and, flames uh, up from time to time, but then a little preparation TTF settles it. <laughs> <back down>. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like that commercial with the match being put out by the little <laughs> wet pad. He says more classic comic runs. Burns FF is at the top of my list of runs I'd like to see you cover. Oh, you know. We keep talking about that. We need to do it one of these days because somebody else is going to end up doing it first and then I'm going to be all pissed off about it. So, yeah, we need to do that one of these days. Yeah, then we'd have to wait 10 years to do it. Yeah. Fresh again. See, some more love for Superman and Batman would be great too. I need to watch The Taste of the Nolan films of Man of Steel, which I didn't see. Solidarity, Scott, out of my mouth. <laughs> Solidarnosk. <laughs> So I'd like to offer myself as living proof that younger people can develop love for the finer things and nerd rage uh, for that which is new and shiny. You have to realize my peak comic reading years were in the 1990s, so it's a miracle that I didn't give comics up and discover girls. For what? On that subject, dude, go discover girls because they're pretty cool. It's You can do both. Why Here not do both? Do both. It's not mutually exclusive. These days you can find girls that will read comics and dress up like Wonder Woman for you. So yeah. there you go. Says, Fortunately, I preferred uh, diving into the back issue bins when I was a kid. A steady diet of Lee, Kirby, Burns, Simonson, Infantino, Conway, and other giants gave me a love for comics that shaped me in so many ways. My morals, my love of fantasy, and sci-fi. And today's- That's really cool, but how did Tim Conway get in there? <laughs> In today's rude and apathetic world, it's all too commonplace for people not to express gratitude. I think I've gone uh, long enough without letting you and uh, Brother Geeks, Bailey, Shag, Leyland, etc. know just how much you've entertained and touched my geeky heart over the past year. 
Your incredible efforts are appreciated, and you should be very proud of the podcasting network you've created. Thanks, and keep on freaking. I tend to ramble, and my typing fingers be aching, so I'll quit now. And again, that's from Greg Kirkman. Thank you so much, dude, for one of the... I, I, this is honestly one of my favorite emails I think I've ever read. That that's, Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I'm touched. I'm glad we touched his heart. But just be lucky that we didn't tear it from your chest like <laughs> Molaran. I am really touched by that. We have one last very brief, because I'm not going to read the whole thing here. No offense to the uh, to the writer, but Jesus, did he ramble on and on and on? Oh God! I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the essential parts of this. So uh, one last email here, and this one is entitled Fourth Quarter and Fiscal Year 2013 uh, Earnings. And this one is from uh, listener Bob Iger. And it says, Dear Scott and Chris, earlier today the Walt Disney Company reported our earnings for both the fourth quarter and fiscal year 2013. We also made two exciting announcements that I'd like to share with you as well. We're pleased. Uh, we are very pleased with our... Okay, I don't need to read all that. In addition to reporting stellar earnings, we announced that Star Wars Episode Seven will open in theaters on December 18th, twenty. 15. As you know, this is the first Star Wars feature since Lucasfilm joined Disney last year, so it's an important movie for us, and we've given a release date that gives the creative team time to make an extraordinary film, or excuse me, the extraordinary film that Star Wars fans deserve. And then, like I say, he oh, just... Oh, they're writing checks, man. I just love it. rambles on and on and on but he does wrap up at the very ending by just saying you guys kick all the ass sincerely bob Iger." so i just wanted to touch on this the thing about uh yeah what do you think that it, he is writing some checks what do you think that's a well well I, I see that as a good sign if they're writing checks because i don't think they don't plan on cashing them you know that i, I I'm very excited. I'm I'm I get the tingly sense that Disney understands that Star Wars needs to be Star Wars and it needs to be passed on. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're involving fans and they're involving you know, but they're also involving people like Lawrence Kasdan. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's it's a good sign. It's a, it's a sign that they've been. You can almost see that they've been listening to what people griped about the prequels, and you know I don't want to get my expectations too high because I think it's going to be a movie that's accessible to all ages. So there might be kiddie elements to it that that people will rail against. But I think they'll be tempered in there in the way that, like, you know, Pixar does that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very optimistic. I'm ve- and and just as we'd said about ten minutes earlier, this is the two of us that sort of wrestled the idea of what do you do with a story of Episode Seven to make it an arc that 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 fits in with the the sweeping arc of Episode, you know, one through six. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really had a hard time doing. You know, we we could think of storylines, but not a way to make it into a cohesive whole. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they approach that and how they try to do and how they do that, or if they even try to do that. 
as much as I'm enjoying those Legacy of the Force books, at the end of the day, y- you kind of have to admit to yourself, it's essentially it's rehashing the same story. A member of the Skywalker family right. falling to the dark side and becoming, you know, the next Darth Vader. We've seen this story over and over. And I'm not putting the story down. I'm enjoying it. But I'm just saying there's no denying it's just a rehash. It's It's the same old thing all over again. So, yeah, they've got a real challenge on their hands of how do you tell uh, an entirely new Star Wars trilogy that's fresh and exciting without just being more of the old, you know, more of the same. And if there's anything that worries me, it's that I want a Star Wars trilogy that that continues the series, has much of the flavor of the original series, however... I don't want it to be slavish either, because if it's too slavish, then you run that risk of it. It does feel like a rehash. You know what I mean? It's it, it, that sense of remember this moment, how much you love that moment. Here, here it is again. You know, and I'm eh, hoping they take the do feel that. of the original trilogy and incorporate the elements, the feel, and the elements of the prequels that worked mm-hmm. into it. So, because I'm sure they're going to also realize, yes, there's a lot of people like us whose Star Wars is the original trilogy. It's going to be a lot of kids. Right. Especially by 2015, there'll be a ton of kids who've been brought up on the prequels, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So, they're going to have to take elements of that, but there's plenty of good visual and tonal elements that they could take from the prequels and make it work in integrated i hope it has the organic feel of the original you know that's right. a, that's all i hope it has that uh, like that um that one guy who he wrote he wrote a column ba- uh, i think it was a little cartoon thing that they animated on youtube where he was basically saying star wars takes place on the outskirts amongst the dregs you right know? yeah i love that article i know that and, you're talking and about, i'd yeah. like to see it back in that sort of sort of vein you know where where you have the main big conflict taking place but the th- the elements that end up you know affecting it the most are the the most humble elements in the beginning you know the most downtrodden or you know random e- you know ewoks and and farm boys see for the moment i think i'm in a really good spot with this movie coming up because I'm actually more excited about other movies, for one thing. There, there's <laughs> far more other projects that I'm eager, you know, more eager to see than than Episode Seven. And you know, I had made my peace with Star Wars films after Revenge of the Sith. I, so far as I was concerned, that was it. I mm-hmm. really never expected yeah, that we would get another one. The fact that we are getting another one... I've done that twice now. <laughs> you know, I, I'm good with... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I'm good with that. You know, I, 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 you know they want to give me another one. I'll, I'll go watch it. But I wasn't... I didn't need one. I wasn't demanding right. one. Right. So, essentially, in a, to a certain respect, they can... You know, for me personally, I'm speaking here. They can pretty much do whatever they want because I, I didn't need or demand one to begin with. So, right. let me... You know, show me what you got kind of thing. And I'm good one way or the other. So, 
it's going to be very, very interesting, you know, and of course, this is me saying this, having not seen, you know, picture one or frame one of any, you know, That's trailers or anything. Say. Once that starts to happen, then, you know, of course, then the the internet can break wide open. You, what do you, you figure about a year from now, maybe at the, a year from now, we might be seeing like a trailer, you know? Oh, I don't even think it's going to take that long. I really don't. What I'm actually more excited for, here, here's my hope, is that, you know, love it or hate it personally, for me, I just hope that, you know, not, like, not that Star Wars is dead or, or on the wane or anything like that, but I want to see a full reinvigoration of Star Wars for everybody. Because right now I feel like Star Wars fandom is is kind of fractured and in, in, in not broken or, or I'm trying to think of the word I want to use divided or not really even di- it's kind of sectional, you know, because you've got the, you've got the, the prequel guys over here. You've got the clone wars guys over here. You've got the original trilogy people over here. You've got the EU people over here and we don't all necessarily, we're not all necessarily marching to the same mm-hmm. you know, beat of the same drum kind of thing. So, in that respect, I do hope this movie comes out and embraces everybody. And and I know that's huge expectations, but I really hope that it does and gets us all... If nothing else, I want to see it fire everybody that calls themselves a Star Wars fan back up and get them really, really excited back into Star Wars. And more than anything, I want to see them now spending money again on... The, you know, the franchise that is Star Wars, because if they do that, that's going to send that message to Disney saying, hey, viable, good purchase, good deal. Yeah. Let's put some more money into it because and this is just me being selfish, of course, but I want Disney to come where I live. You know, I mean, we have the parks here. And rumors are flying. I mean, there's not a day that goes by at work anymore that somebody's not coming to me and saying, hey, did you hear the latest rumor? You know, and and most of them are embracing it like it's gospel. Hey, did you hear this is going to happen? Did you hear? Nothing's been confirmed at all at this point. Mm -hmm. I know that there's Imagineers working behind the scenes on ideas for how to bring Star Wars into our parks, but nothing's, you know, until there's a press release, nothing is solid. So I want to see this movie come out, do gangbusters, get everybody fired back up for Star Wars so that Star Wars comes to live here, you know, and, and it really because I, I, not only do I want to see it in the parks as far as, you know, the the experience of, you know, more rides, more attractions, more theming, all of that. But my professional, I mean, what I do there is I work in resorts, you know, and our resorts, you know, the theming of the resorts and all that. I was thinking about this not long ago and talking to somebody at work about it. I could Endor. see the day where there is a a Walt Disney World Star Wars resort, much yeah. like Art of Animation. You know, Art of Animation is four different movie themes that make up this massive campus, you know, this massive resort. And the theming is absolutely incredible. I mean, you could take some of those themes right out of that resort plunk them down somewhere else in the country, you could charge admission. They're that well-themed. I want to see that brought to Disney as a resort. Oh, yeah, the, Star- Chewy, the, the Chewy suite where you you stay in Chewy's house from the Christmas special. Yeah. 
Or, mean, you know, just general, like, just general, like, you know, lower cost, you know, hotel there would be, um, would be, you would just walk down the corridor, like, um, in the Death Star in Star Wars, you, you know. Imagine? I mean, and, I, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you have, like, a, say, like a value resort or a value plus resort that's, you know, themed to, you know, each, each section's like a different planet or different mm-hmm. environ from the Star Wars universe. You could have, like, you know, your Hoth, you know, section. You could have your, you know, Tatooine section, you know, yeah. your Endor section, whatever, Death Star section. I think that would be awesome. Death Star would be awesome. I live for that, you know? And, you know, we have the giant icons, you know, in the in the value section. You'd have these giant icons, you know, like a giant, I don't know, like a giant Vader head or a giant, you know, like a TIE fighter, you know, like a mm-hmm. life-size TIE fighter or a walker, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's no end of possibilities for stuff like that. But I think a lot of it hinges on... Imperial troop transports taking you to the um Oh dude taking you to the park. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, I would love that. So just I'm just dreaming, trapped I'm to the outside of it. So to me, it's not just a movie. You know, it's like I to me the movie's almost inconsequential as far as like what it's about or whatever. I, I honestly don't care. I just give me more Star Wars so long as it's good. It's what's it's the franchise as a whole that I feel that's riding on it. That's that's the part that has me both excited and nervous because I want the the first one to come right out of the gate and just be the biggest thing ever because I I want that to be that affirmation for Disney that hey, good per good deal, you know, yeah. good purchase. <laughs> we did the right thing. So, money well well spent. Let's spend more. But on that subject, that's all I got. So you want to take a little break and then come back with uh, the main part of the show? There you go. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at 2TrueFreaks.com. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. 
No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. We are back, and now it is time for the comic booky segment of the show. And Chris has the first synopsis. Yes, and we're back with some more Indiana Jones comics this month. We have Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, Lucky Number Thirteen, with a cover of Indy getting dragged through the dirt by Brett Blevins. <laughs> um, Dave Michelini did the script with a tip of the hat to um, Archie Goodwin. Ricardo Villamonte did the pencils, Sam Della Rosa the inks, Joe Ryzen letters, Bob Sharon colors, Louise Jones editor and Jim Shooter editor in chief. This is from January of 1984. And it was 60 cents, two quarters and a dime. And uh, this one was sponsored by the Parents Music Resource Center. It was called Deadly Rock. <laughs> Anyway, Indy is taking his mostly female students on a field trip to some local Indian ruins. He saves the lovely Lucy Giles from a scorpion with a lash of the whip before he can take her back to camp to, quote, make sure she's okay. Indy sees a student, Harding, heading towards a cave that is off-limits because of its instability. <laughs> I know all about instability. <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets to the cave, a rock slide starts, and Jones has to effect a rescue involving using a truck to block the rocks from crushing his student. After saving the young lad, Jones and his students are met by suspiciously gangster-like members of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, who uh, run them off the cave at gunpoint. Indy, 
His curiosity peaked, sneaks back to find a whole construction project going on in the cave. As he, as he is about to bust things up, he is met by Lucy, who's followed him to see what he was doing. She thought he might be going to see another girl. Distracted, of course, he is knocked out. When he comes to, he meets a Mr. Busby, who is, who is building the cave into a criminal hideout. He will hold Lucy to ensure Indy's silence. And uh, Indy, not one to give up, is released but sneaks back in through the cave's chimney like Santa Claus to rescue Lucy. But it turns out when he finds her that she's actually Busby's daughter and in on the whole plot. Now Indy's pissed. He sets off some fires and kicks a ass, but Busby is fled to a plane. Indy lashes a chain to it and then maneuvers an asphalt flattener, which for some reason they call a bulldozer, onto the chain, grounding the crook. Indy has called in the troopers earlier in the cave's radio room and they show up to haul off the bad guys, but only after a great loss to the cave's Indian relics. And Indy doesn't get laid. The end. <laughs> I had the same note that uh, I call, I thought it was a steamroller, but I said uh, you know there's that line that that Indy steamroller. has. Yes, says, it is a steamroller. Uh, yeah, he says uh, he jumps on board it, and he says bulldozers aren't exactly known for their speed. And I'm thinking, well, they're not yeah, exactly well, known that's to be steamrollers either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good thing that's not a bulldozer then. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool moment in this. Yes. I mean, he takes out a plane with a steamroller. That's that's a pretty cool takedown right there. That would have been a very nice cinematic. Oh, I yeah. could totally see the room, 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 clink, chung, and then the yep. plane coming down. You know, it would have been a nice little sequence. Yeah, that is really cool. Because that, that plane, here's the visual for you, folks. The plane's lifting off into the sky and dragging this, like, mile of chain behind it that, that Indy had hooked onto the landing gear. So he just casually drives this steamroller onto the chain, and as soon as the slack is out of it, the friggin' plane goes chunk and just pulls it right out of the sky. Yeah. That's cool. That's actually a really good visual in this. I think the guy should have died in the crash, but beyond that, it's actually pretty neat. So... I don't know. I thought that this was a fairly, eh, you know, it's it's okay. It's not great, but that moment, the elevated. I like the art in this one. Yeah, the art's it's, really. It's, good. it's the um, it's the non Harrison Ford but still indie look mm-hmm. that they they've got, but it's got a good traditional comic book feel to it, but really well rendered, detailed art. I like it. It's per, it's right in line with the best of the art. For, sometimes the faces are a little bit G.I. Joe-ish, you know what I mean? Right. But then again, this is a, it's this is this one and the next one. Remember how we were talking about how Michelini seems to really get the 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 beats and the the feel of the indie adventures? Mm-hmm. I think in these two comics, he's going more for the beats and the feel of old 40s and 50s comic strips and comic books, right? adventure comic books, 
So this one has a little bit of like Terry and the Pirates, yes, sort of feel, or you know, a cheesy adventure, you know, boys' adventure comic from the fifties, where the story is kind of goofy and the characters are, you know, flat out caricatures. Yeah, you know, I mean these these gangsters, they all wear their gangster hats and they're oh, I'm Busby, see. Yeah, I, I looked. I did a quick wiki search to see: is this supposed to be some nod to like I don't know, like Busby Berkeley or something? But I, I yeah. don't think it is. But yeah. he he just he looks like he might be referencing someone specific, yeah. but I couldn't place it. He's almost like a he, he's um, not quite caricatured enough to be a Dick Tracy villain, but he's very right, very caricatured ish. You know, he's got his pork pie hat and his mustache and yeah, stogie. Yep. Yep, and tie, you know, polka dot tie. It's it's just it's just really cheesy, but you know, I mean, as as far as these go, it's it's fun. It's I mean, I, you're limited to what you can do with, with indie stories, and it, this throws in a whole bunch of you know. I did the synopsis, but I didn't mention that he throws a whole bag full of uh, spiders, <laughs> tarantulas on people, you know, and. You know, he has to lash a log across the smokestack to get down there and and everything. So it's it's got all the tropes and stuff of it, and it's it's well drawn. But I think there's it, it, maybe this was the point that we were always talking about where they were sort of like, what do we do with this? Right. You know, they were starting to add elements. I totally circumnavigated the elements of... Uh, you know, you don't see it in this one, but uh, Marion's, you hear uh, Marcus reference it, Marion's running publicity for the for the museum, right. and she's she's being outrageous. As a matter of fact, they even bring up that she's using female mud wrestling at the end to promote it, which is, or no, maybe that's at the beginning. But anyway, they mention that she's using female mud wrestling, and I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of a modern. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was that was a little bit anachronistic. Same thing with the uh, with the construction equipment. I mean, I don't know nothing about caterpillar, you know, equipment and all that. But just that scene of Indy when he's going through the cave, and all of a sudden he comes across the construction site. I'm looking at that going. Uh, that looks awfully modern to me. I mean, did they really have equipment that looked like that in the 30s? Well, it's very interesting that this one is, um, this one's even more like the, I think, it, it just reminds me of old 50s EC comics. Yeah. And But this one's missing a supernatural element. You know, at the end, he says, you know, you destroyed a lot of, a lot of work, you know, a lot of history by bulldozing around in there. But, you know, usually this would have some sort of thing that, like, while they were bulldozing around, they found some relic that brought the wrath of the Indians down upon them or something, you know? That's a really good point. I hadn't even made that. That's a really good catch, Chris, is that, uh, this is yeah, straight this, up. Is the, this is the first one, I think, that we've had where there is no supernatural element. I, I It didn't even occur to me. Yeah, you're right. It's just a, a straight-up man of adventure that quote-unquote could take place in reality <laughs> you know yeah. of course there's of course it's totally implausible to be building a a whole you know criminal hideout you know all that that's just ridiculous and 
Man, Indy just beats people like he's a ninja in this. Yeah, I, I had a question on that. Is I, my question was, you know, is Indy a little bit too much of an ass kicker in this issue? Because mm-hmm. he really does. He he finds himself in a pickle where he's, you know, a couple of times during the issue where he's surrounded by you know three four guys and he just kicks all their asses. And I'm like, okay. Then again, he's also really really mad because they're ruining these ruins. You know, he's he's just had enough. So he's just like, there's one point where he's actually praying for an outlet for his anger. And then he's like, thanks, God, because they send three or four more guys over to him that he can beat. You know? <laughs> well, you were talking about the art, and I agree. I think the art's really good in this one. But uh, Ricardo Villagran, or excuse me, Villamonte, rather, is not one of those names that just... You know, comes right to my mind, like, you know, where have I, because I was like, where have I seen this before? Where have I heard that name? So I had to look him up. And uh, I like his inking style. Yeah, he's, he's really reminiscent good. of Play Aloha, actually, in a lot of places. He's, uh, he's fresh off of a run on Power Man and Iron Fist. And then at the same time he was doing this, he was working on Crystar, the Crystal Warrior. Which I have to admit, I've always just kind of laughed off as completely ridiculous. But if it's got this art, then uh, next time those fall in my lap, I might actually have to take a look at them. Because I actually kind of dig the art in this. It's Mm -hmm. not bad. But uh, he does do a couple more uh, indie issues uh, a little bit later in the series. So we'll we'll be seeing him again, have to see how it holds up. Because I don't know how much uh, Sam De La Rosa is bringing bringing to this art either. Because neither one of their styles are, are styles that I'm familiar with enough to be able to separate, you know, who did what exactly. But put together, I don't think they're bad at all. No, it, it's very reminiscent of the first couple issues with Byrne. Mm-hmm. In the lot, in the in the you know attention to detail and right. The, the the organic elements of it and the stuff look very you know rocky and you know it's you get a feel of a dirty ground and a an old cave i like it a lot and it's got sort of that old woodcut look to it a yeah. little bit you know and i like that too especially for something retro like indiana jones this is Michelinie's next published work after Hoth stuff, which was uh, Star Wars <laughs> number 78. Just thought yeah, that we all know about point. that one. <laughs> um, it's the second time that Indy uses his whip on a student. Now, I mean, he doesn't hit her, uh-huh. but he uses it to, to snap the uh, scorpion off of her. And in the very first issue, he used his whip to snap that cigarette out of the, the other student's mouth. I thought that was worth pointing out. You see, I really think he was going for it when he's just like, I, I better take you back to your room to make sure that you're okay. And then it's just like, oh, here we go. Well, she even says something about uh, wanting to earn some extra credit or something mm-hmm. like that. I forget. I missed what page that's on here. But, she, yeah, she she throws herself at him. And I don't think Indy's <laughs> above going, okay. Playing catch, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of this entire series actually happens in this issue. I, I wasn't sure what issue it was, and it's here. Again, the damn pages aren't numbered, but there's that moment where Indy realizes that one of his students is trapped up on the side of the, the cliff mm-hmm. there, and the rocks are about to crush him. So he starts driving the Jeep up. Well, the, the load in the back of the Jeep shifts, and the thing starts, at first it looks like it's kind of sliding sideways, and then it starts to roll, so he jumps out. That's just a great moment. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can actually hear like the tires skidding and everything. It's really cool. Nice piece of art right there. You can see him inside fighting the wheel, you know, trying to keep the thing steady, but ev- mm-hmm. eventually it's, it turns over, so he bails out. That's actually a really cool moment. I like that. Since when the hell does Marcus Brody smoke cigars? He looks more like uh, Foggy Nelson there on the bottom <laughs> of that one page, doesn't he? Uh-huh, you're right. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Ah, oh, What else do I have? The first... Image of Indy in his Indy costume is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. the pages aren't numbered, but that very first shot of him looks really, really nice. Yeah, no more Mr. Teacher. Yeah, very nicely detailed. Um, I think that's the end of my notes on this one, honestly. I, I mean, I dug it. I thought it was a pretty good issue. And again, I, I did like the art. And uh, Indy kicked a good lot of ass. Sound, good sound in it. It's yeah. got a chud if someone chud. gets kicked in the head, which is always one of my favorites. And I'll call out to Mike Cross, who gave me the idea for Chudway, eat flesh. <laughs> and uh, um, my favorite, though, is where he hooks the um, um, chain onto the, the plane. Yes. And it goes clink, but they spell the clink with a Q, which gives it just an extra metallic sound to it. You right. know, it's just very inventive. And also that page with the full of first shot of Indy in his outfit. I love the shot right after that where he's descending the rock and he's just a silhouette. Mm-hmm. And this was, I think this was the artist's favorite page because there's a nice possible possible nipple above that too, just over the ice cream. Maybe the ice cream's making her cold. But anyway, <laughs> that's about all I had. I thought it was a fun. A fun one, although not the most plausible story. Right. But, but fun. Done in one. Done in one mm-hmm. Which is uh, not usually the um, the pattern for these. True. So part of the reason that uh, that I wanted to do a couple of issues is I thought for sure that that way we would get you know like the the cliffhanger ending and then the resolution. It didn't work you out. Got that two way. done in ones. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're both done in ones. It, you know, now that I look at that picture of Indy more in his in his suit, that's very Milton Caniff, Terry and the Pirate style, mm-hmm. old Western comics to look to it. I so I yeah I I think this one's more of a tribute to old comics than it is to um, you know the 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 comics that Michelini probably read as a kid, than than to the actual indie movies. Which you gotta say, I mean you're gonna have to eventually do something in in this if you're gonna be doing a new indie story every month, right? You know? Well, I mean I knew that eventually we we got at least one or two stories where there wasn't necessarily a supernatural element. I just didn't remember them coming in until much later because I know that there's that, I don't know if it's a done-in-one or if it's a two-part story, but there's one where uh, there's a spectacular, I think it's a Michael Golden cover Mm -hmm. of Indy jumping onto the back of a moving train. And it had something to do with the the, the thing that he was after in that was something, it was... um, it was either Buffalo Bill or Wild Bill. It was like his lost guns or something. It was, you know, it's like the the treasure was like really, but the story was pretty good. 
But there was, as I recall, I don't think there was any supernatural element to it. So I thought that didn't come along till much later. But you're absolutely, I can't believe I didn't catch that in this, that, that there really was not something, you know, with a, with a special power that he was going over. Nope. But unfortunately, the next issue does have the supernatural, and uh, it ain't the better for it either, I don't think. But uh, maybe I'm tipping my hand too early for, for this particular one, but... Do we have anything else on number 13? Or? No, I'm perfectly ready to move on for what All it's... All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number 14. This is the February 1984 issue, actually on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, November 1st, 1983. It has an ugly painted cover on it. Uh, <laughs> My least favorite of the entire series by Brett Blevins. Now, you know what's really funny is I... I It's Aztec Cyclops blasting Indiana Jones. (laughs) It's what it looks like, too. Somebody else said that they thought it looked a little bit like like RoboCop, maybe like RoboCop with a bandana or something like that. But what's funny is I, I threw these covers up on our Facebook page today just to solicit, you know, a few more opinions on it. Maybe, you know, to have a little bit of discussion here. And the first couple ones were here. Well, the very first one was Paul Spataro says, I've never read them, but the covers look awesome. And then uh, Andy Leyland said the same thing. He says, what Paul said, lovely covers. And I didn't want to come back and be, you know, I I didn't want to contradict them. be positive. But, yeah, but I'm like, really? Because this is a hideous cover. It really (laughs) is. I really do not like this cover at all. We are looking at a life-size version of it. Those are little Facebook pictures, too. That's true. That's true. But, yeah, just it's it's just – it's the it's combination. When you put something up and go, hey, look at these covers, you're usually doing it because you're like, hey, look at these covers I really like. So nobody also wants to hurt anybody's feelings and go, geez, you like those shit covers? <laughs> <laughs> but it, I don't know. You must be insane. But it's, it's indie. And if it didn't say Indiana Jones at the top, I don't think you'd ever know that it was him. But it's indie holding this girl and they're falling, I don't know, off a train trestle or something. And wow! She's going, Ooh, this giant! It, it looks like a giant-headed Rambo wearing an Aztec pot on his head is gritting his teeth at them, and it's all orange and brown. And it's just—I just don't. I just think it's hideous. I really it's don't. Even, it's even more hideous when you realize that's supposed to be Marion. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, not that is not um, what's her name, Karen Allen, at all. No. Okay, so the rest of the credits on this. Uh, well, uh, the uh, original cover price was sixty cents, by the way. Demons is the title of the story. David Michelini is plot and script. David Massicelli does the pencils, and someone called the Saint is credited with the inks. I'm pretty sure this is Vinnie Coletta. I tried like hell to find confirmation of this and couldn't, but I'm. But it explains I a lot. I am really convinced that it's Vinny Coletta. Well, that explains a lot. Uh, Joe Riz Riz Rosin does the letters. Uh, <laughs> Robbie Carousella, this is a new name on me, uh, did the colors. Elliot Brown is the editor, and Jim Shooter, editor in chief. 
So at Marshall College in Eastern Connecticut, uh, Connecticut, by the way, <laughs> Professor Indiana, uh, kid talk. Professor Indiana Jones is giving uh, giving a lecture when the snickers of his students draw his attention to the rain of papers fluttering past the window of his classroom. Indy sticks his head out to see what's up and discovers that his old girlfriend, Marion Ravenwood, is really taking to her new position as the PR officer for the National Museum. And uh, she's taking it to new heights by having leaflets advertising a new exhibit at the museum dropped from a hot air balloon. So later, while Indy confronts Marcus Brody and uh, Marion about this nonsense, this dude named Harvey Poindexter... Yes, this is the name of the villain of the piece, Harvey Poindexter. No, it's actually just Pondexter. He's even a loser as a Poindexter. Oh, is it Pondexter? I thought it yes. was Poindexter. Yes, it look. Uh, it should oh, you're be Poindexter. Right. He's a Pondexter, though. <laughs> All right. He's, well, to me, he's always going to be Harvey Poindexter. Cause... Yes, he is a Harvey Poindexter. <laughs> He's an accountant for the museum, apparently, and uh, he tries to speak with Marcus while all this is going on with Indy, and he's uh, unceremoniously brushed off. So Poindexter, he's all pissed off and frustrated, so he descends back into his basement where he stumbles upon the lost journal of Milos Fortier, the prior curator of the museum before Marcus Brody. And there's this trunk full of relics and stuff. And despite warnings in the journal that the artifacts are dangerous and likely led to Fortier's suicide, Poindexter is still intrigued enough uh, by these things to risk his position with the museum by slipping out of the basement and taking the stuff and put it in the trunk of his car, and that's when he's spotted by Indy and Marion. Jones realizes that Poindexter is swiping museum property, and he tries to stop him, but then he's almost ventilated for his trouble. Poindexter speeds off, and Indy and Marion give chase in Marcus Brody's car. Uh, instantly, there's uh, this hellacious downpour literally starts between panels. Like, I-, I guess they thought I wouldn't notice or something, but it goes from, like, sunny skies to, oh my god, it's the end of the world, <laughs> like, by turning the page. So anyway, uh, it reduces uh, visibility to nothing, and enough so that Poindexter actually has time, despite the fact that it looked like they were right on his ass, all of a sudden, there's time for him to actually make it to the top of the mountain and start an avalanche of boulders to try to stop them, you know, stop Indy and Marion. And I guess this is supposed to be really exciting and everything, but it just essentially looks like Indy goes right, left, right, and they're out of danger it's it just doesn't work at lucky all. i steered around those rocks in yeah space. and they're, like, they're she actually says luckily luckily we didn't even scratch the car <laughs> no they don't nothing bounces off of them or any uh, so uh following more the path of the road than the actual taillights of uh, poindexter's car at this point indy drives now he drives into this covered bridge this wooden covered bridge they must be entering madison county <laughs> And suddenly, they're blocked by this raging fire at one end of the uh, of the covered bridge. So Indy tries to reverse, but suddenly, the entire bridge is now ablaze. So he can't go forward, he can't go backward. So Indy pulls some booze from a flask in the glove box out, and he pours it on the, you know, the floor of the bridge, starts another fire that burns through the bottom of the bridge. By the way, I don't think this works in real life. 
I don't know, unless Marcus Brody's drinking alien blood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because fire, I don't think fire burns that way, does it? It doesn't burn down to give you a hole to escape. But anyway, Not it works from a flask of booze. <laughs> <laughs> but it works in this case. And uh, Indy and Marion, they, they crash through and they escape from the bridge. Now, mind you, the, the entire bridge is on fire here. So, you know, does it make sense that the one spot where you're standing to set that on fire too? But anyway, it works and they escape and they plunge into the water below. Now, the scene from this point is actually pretty cool. They, they find themselves in this raging river. And, you know, it's the, it's the whitewater rapids type of thing. And they're going downstream. And Indy tries to use his whip to snag a branch and pull them out. But that doesn't work because the branch doesn't hold them and it just snaps off. But then it ends up Indy can snag the branch that's still lashed to his whip into this outcropping of rock. And it gives him an anchor so that he's able to pull himself and Marion out of the drink. That sequence actually was pretty cool. So Poindexter, meanwhile... Uh, he heads for this huge, ominous-looking, abandoned hotel that's overlooking the Atlantic shore, and he breaks into it. Indy and Marion, they steal a cop car from a roadside diner, and they resume their pursuit. And they just happen to chance across the caretaker of the hotel who's out in the middle of this storm wandering around or something. I don't know what the hell. They just almost run over the guy in the storm. And he tells them that there was a break-in at the hotel. So they jump out of the car give it to him and tell him, hey, take this car back to the cops at the diner and let them know what you just told us. And then I guess they were approaching the hotel to begin with. Really not... It's not clear in the storytelling at all because it makes it look like they drive out of the diner right to the hotel. It's just really weird. It doesn't sync up well at all. So anyway, inside the hotel, Jones and Marion, get this, are confronted by... Poindexter the first. So the, he, this is Poindexter. He's stripped down to his wife beater t-shirt. <laughs> He's got his slacks and his boots. But from the waist up, he looks like a scrawny Aztec version of Wolverine as, as yeah. Weapon X or something. He just looks flat ridiculous. And he's spouting, ice, you know, spouting off all this infidels, be gone kind of. Sp- it's just really, really stupid. So he's gone completely around the bend, and uh, he's trying to. He's swinging the sword. And he's trying to scare Indy off, and Indy doesn't take him seriously at all. And because of this, he actually gets cut by Poindexter's sword. And it turns out the sword, at some point in the past, had been poisoned, had been dipped in poison or whatever. And so now Indy finds himself, you know, all groggy and kind of out of it because of this. So it's Marion that has to pull a faster and distract uh, Poindexter so that they can get away. (laughs) So they make their way, you know, several floors up in the hotel. They duck into this room and Marion's, you know, she's trying to tend to Indy and everything. And then there's like the most awkward moment here where all of a sudden, out of the blue, it's like... I love you, and the music comes up and everything, and I'm like, really? Now is when you're going to do this? And of course, Poindexter, you know, he's not forgotten about them or anything, so he comes crashing through the door, you know, using his his sword to bust his way in. Here's Johnny. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, they're interrupted by him, and okay, I've had an issue with this my whole life. So here we go. So Indy <laughs> lashes his whip 
to one of the bedposts, and he, he and Marion twenty-four foot whip flee out the window. All right. Well, here's the thing. Now, you know, as it's pictured here, the whip would actually reach. I think. From that bedpost to the window. I don't have a problem with that panel. I wish the pages were numbered uh-huh. so you could follow me along with this. But it's it's on the page where where you see Poindexter's sword coming through the wall or through the door, whatever the hell that is. And she and Marion says, He's found us. And Indy says, Get to the window. So the next panel is Indy lashing his whip around the bedpost, and he's playing out the slack, and she's about to go out the window. Now I don't have a problem with that panel. Because I'm pretty sure a whip is about that long, mm-hmm. you know, to get that far. It's the next one. It's actually not even the next one I have a problem with, because if you go by the theory that the weight of the two of them, both Indy and Marion, was enough to pull the bed actually to the mm-hmm. window, like right up against the window sill, then again, there's enough slack in it to do what Indy's doing in that picture. Then there's a little inset picture of Poindexter raising his sword above his head and he's going to slash the whip in two. I don't have a problem with that. It's the next one. (laughs) All right. Indy is out the window, clearly a a level beneath that floor because the window just above him in the picture is closed. It's not the same window he's going out of. Then there's a window below him, so that's another story. And then Marion is dangling another story beneath that, and then it looks like there might she's even got be slack. Yeah. yeah, all well, the way down four feet to yeah. the thong. So I'm thinking that this thing has got to be like thirty feet long yeah. or better. It's yes. way too long. It's a, it's, it's a piece of rope. Is I, what I mean, it is. and this is such a bone of contention for me because I've owned several bullwhips in the course mm-hmm. of my life, you know. So I, I'm very familiar with them. There are no bullwhips that are this long. You couldn't do anything. Couldn't maneuver it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just so why it's not just a piece of rope. I don't get. It really. It should. It would have been better for him to just pull a Bugs Bunny and pull a, a length of rope out of his ass. I'd have bought that more and never, probably never even questioned it. You know. But it's clearly the whip. He re- refers to it several times as the whip. So it is the whip. It's not a piece of rope. And it just destroys what was already a pretty questionable story to me to begin with. The whip keeps getting longer on the next page. When they're falling, the whip is just like wrapped around in the air, and she's like 20 feet below him. You turn the page, and the first picture is Poindexter cutting the whip. Clearly, the bed is not up against the the door, or you know, the window sill. And there's a couple feet of whip on the bed, wrapped around the bed. Yeah. And then the next picture is Indian Marion plummeting, and there's gotta be what would you say? There's there's probably a good twenty thirty feet yeah. of whip right there. That's the severed part. And then Indy hits the ledge, and there's probably a good fifteen feet of whip. He uses what's left of it to tie it around the thing to swing down to the ledge so Marion can pull him in. And that length of whip he's got in his hands right there, that's about the true length of a whip, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit extra. So it's Oh, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Ah, I hate it. So, <laughs> anyway, synopsis. <laughs> so, uh, so Marion, you know, she she thankfully she lands on the balcony below. She's able to pull Indy up, 
But Indy's completely whipped now. You know, he's exhausted from this fight. He's got the poison raging in his blood and everything, so he's out of it. So Marion's fearing for his life, and she attempts this desperate ploy. So she threatens to drop Fortier's trunk, you know, the trunk full of artifacts, off the balcony and into the sea if Poindexter doesn't back off. Now, at this point, I have to point out, where, where the hell did she... How did she get this? They're outside. They've mm-hmm. just fallen onto this balcony. And then the very next panel, she's going, Hey, I'll drop it. I swear to God, I will. And I'm going, well, This is not a light, light item. It's full of metal gold relics, <laughs> which I mean, is very heavy. Even if the theory here was that she ran inside real quick and grabbed it, there's no way she could because you can right. see in the panel... On the top of that page, that Poindexter and blocking away in the friggin' doorway. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Ah! I hate it. So, so anyway, so she's you know doing the whole. I'll drop it. I swear to God, I will. And uh, you know, Poindexter. So he runs at here, going. You know, what does he say? Something silly. The, that's my glory, my life. It's mine. It's mine. I tell you, it's mine. Mine, mine, mine. mine. <laughs> he, he runs at her. <laughs> And she loses her grip. So both the trunk and Poindexter take a dive off the balcony. It's actually Mountain Doom. Doom. Yeah, they, they do the uh, the Lando. Yay! Off of Cloud City. <laughs> and then they just splatter on the rocks below. And, uh... Oh, my God. So <laughs> two days later, back at the museum, Indiana Jones is all recovered, and he's back to work. And uh, then Marcus remembers that a letter came in that was addressed to Marion while she was attending Jones. And so he gives it to her and she opens it. And Marcus remarks that she looks like she's seen a ghost. As a matter of fact, Marcus, she says, I think I have. And that's the Now, says to be continued, do you know what that's in reference to? I have no idea. I imagine we're going to get a story like with her dad or something because he was kind go. of referenced in this. There he was referenced, go. you know, oh, he's always hated you since, you know, he dumped me, you know. So I I figured it would be Abner Ray, but they were like, oh, yeah, he hated Indiana Jones right up until his death. And I'm like, oh, they're building something here, you know. What's really so that's odd. what I figured was going on. What's really odd is the very next issue does not continue from this. Oh. Yeah. So it has a little bit of that. Well, you know, there's weirdness involved with Marvel titles when you get the one and dones yep. on a and a episode. See, I think this one was more of a tribute to old House of Mystery morality tale comics, but it was just stupid. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean. I mean, it was, you know, this guy was corrupted by his greed and possessed by this thing that destroys you with your greed or something. But it was just done. Although those, a lot of those old EC, you know, crime does not pay things were sort of the same way. But Jesus Christ, just once Marcus was like, hey, you know, get out of here, douchebag or anything. He was just like, look, Poindexter, it's, there's a fight happening here. Can we do this some other time? It wasn't. You know that you know, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, push around, Poindexter, will you? <laughs> I'll show them. I'll kick this cabinet." You know, it's just it, his motivate. You know, and and the okay, so you find something that nobody knows about. So technically, 
it's probably not even museum property. It's something you found. Right. So you take it, you throw a blanket over it, and when nobody's looking, you put it in the back of your truck. You don't knock out the security guard and, uh, okay, maybe plausibly, I guess, he was being taken over by the evil spirit in it. and Because at one point, he's just like, I want to kill them and crush them. And he's like, wait, do I really want to do that or do I just want to get away? You know, so you're getting the idea that he's being possessed by and the title of the story of some sort of demon that lives within all this. But they don't really spell it out too much no. you know, until no. the end where it's just stupid, where he's wearing the hat and stuff. And like, <laughs> I am the almighty Poindexter. It's just stupid. It is you know? very stupid. And unfortunately, I would have probably enjoyed it a lot more if the art was better, but the art's kind of cheesy, too. Do you remember so. the one issue of Marvel Star Wars that Mazzuccelli drew? I'm trying to remember which one it was. I'll it remind was... you with three words. Kitty, cat, head. Oh, yes. with <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I got much the same vibe off of this issue that I got okay. off of Kitty Cat, Ed. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be so bad, I think, if Coletta's inks didn't just suck the life right out of this. It just... I've seen Mazzuccelli do some really good stuff. Yeah! I mean, he did uh, he did Batman Year One, which isn't yeah, bad. His is his amazing. run on Daredevil is not bad. But yeah, no. this just looks... It just looks bland. Mm-hmm. Really it looks blank. generic. Yeah. Generic, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no life to it. There's no Although I have uh, to say the one shot before Indy and Marion make out is a very Harrison Ford. That's Harrison Ford, yeah. 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 That that's actually not bad. I did The one right before one. him is very like I am the Hulk. <laughs> I don't know. It's it just yeah. his head's all disproportionate and weird well the next two panels the panel where he says i love you and then the one where they're kissing he's got a bowl cut it's like a frankenstein cut or oh something. yeah he does doesn't he yeah i guess his hair's supposed to be wet or something but <laughs> i don't know plus the colors in this are not pleasant at all they're very it's muddy it's very brown browns and purples i mean the the there's really not even any good uh you know, indie moment. Other than the 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 branch in the river, yeah, yeah, branch in the river is awesome. That that whole that two page sequence I actually like quite a bit. That looks good and it, and it's exciting, but that's really the only like adventure moment in the whole thing. The rest of it is very weak. And speaking of weak, all right, so they're flying right along in their car, and this damn bridge and that very first shot of the bridge. The bridge is only like two car lengths long. Yeah, you could even if he started a fire, you could drive drive right through, through it. it, you pussy. I mean, yeah, exactly. What the hell did they? Why did they even stop? Just drive through it. And I can see maybe stopping if you're not sure what's on the other side. But the moment I got in there and realized, holy shit, I can't back up because it's on fire. Well, you just came from that way, so you know there's nothing behind you. Go through it. I, just this whole moment where they're stuck in the bridge was just so silly to me. I'm like, really? Yeah. And that escape is, you just, I'm sorry. I mean, we already mentioned it, but you don't burn a hole in the bottom of a, a wooden bridge that's meant to support cars and trucks. <laughs> it, 
with somebody's whiskey, you know, and it's just a little hip flask. It's just a little, you know, it's a couple shots worth, you know. They would die from the actual fire that's raging all around them long before the new fire that they started. And they didn't even take the obvious, you know, they could have at least addressed the humor of it and go, geez, what is Marcus drinking? Yeah, no wonder Marcus is in such a good mood all the time, you know, or something like that, you know. Yep, he's got. And it also sends a bad drinking and driving message to the kids, right? (laughs) Oh man, yeah. Well, the the one to me that's absolutely unforgivable, unforgivable. (laughs) So they set out in hot pursuit of Poindexter at the bottom of the one page, right? And everything's fine, you know. And then you turn the page, and it's just. Like, hellacious. It's like a hurricane. It's like they are driving in a hurricane. It's I maybe that's the power of the Aztec god. Oh God, give me a break. No, I'm not going to buy that with this. He's not even wearing the thing. He's still yeah, got his yeah. accountant's thing on his head. Yeah. <laughs> Indy looks like he looks like a junior newsboy or something. Yes, he does. Sure. Yeah, cub reporter. But, I mean, okay, so we see Poindexter at the wheel, looking out the back window. He's sweats rolling down his face. He's looking out the, the back window of the car at Indy's headlights that look like they're pretty damn close. And then the next panel is Indy and Marion driving. The next panel after that is He's boulders, boulders down. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, that was convenient. And then you learn on the very next page that, no, it was Poindexter. He's up on top of the mountain. Rolling boulders down. I'm like crowbarring boulders down how, into a landslide. How? What did he teleport there? How the hell did he get up to the top of the mountain that fast? There's they were right on of, his ass. That, that's this whole episode issue is full of moving people to play. You know, Im, impossible. Yeah, people being in impossible places and and stuff for all their stuff. You know, way too fast. Way too convenient. Way too convenient. Because the same thing happens when they steal the cop car. That page makes it look like they have no sooner pulled out of the diner parking lot than they almost run over the, the, yeah. the caretaker from the hotel. So what is the hotel like? Like right next door to the diner? It's, it's, I'm sorry. I you know I love, love me some David Michelini, but goddamn this story doesn't work. I don't know if it's the art. Or or what? But it it just doesn't work. I you know, with all and then, Indy, and and then Indy tells Marion to go on a diet. Yep, try going on a diet. Jesus, what a jerk, man! What that just feeds more into our Indy's a jerk. Yep, ongoing theory. With all apologies to to Michelini, who I truly truly love, I have hated this issue since I was a kid. This this is my least favorite issue. That I can recall, anyway, of the series, because it, it, ju- it just top to bottom just does not work. I'm sorry. Well, at least we got it over with yeah, anyway. It's done. It, well, it was fun anyway. I had fun just tearing it up all over again. I thought, you know, I really thought my quibble with this issue was uh, was the whip, but it turns out it's almost it's everything. everything. It's <laughs> it's everything that. Well, I mean, I remember too that the that the villain was really really lame in it. But come on, Harvey Poindexter, really? Oh man, it well, it might get better. Billy, from here. 
there was a really good spirit comic where there was a character who um it, it it reminded me a lot like that except not told very well where it was a little poindextery character who worked in an office but he discovered something that made him fly or and uh nobody noticed him and he's like everybody's going to notice me because I can fly but there was some crime going on and the spirit was was foiling it while this guy was flying around the skyscraper so nobody paid attention to him and then at the end he like somehow crashes into the crook and saves him but he plummets to his death so maybe that figured into this probably not though (laughs) but that guy's name was something like Harvey Poindexter or something like that and now I'm getting him mixed up with Buster Poindexter (laughs) just called him Buster Poindexter Buster Harvey what's the difference yeah Buster Poindexter would have been a lot more entertaining in this issue than, than, than this guy. So I'm trying to remember what comes along next, and I think the next story... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the next story involves... Uh, you remember Captain Katanga from Raiders? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think he he comes back. And see here, this this right here is lending... He's a good character because he's yeah. like kind of like skirts the line of good and bad. Yeah, I, I, I see him and Indy having the same sort of relationship like, like Han and Lando type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not quite as close as Han and Lando, you know, but they, they, they respect each other. You know, but yeah, you know, yeah. potential to have a relationship like that, yeah. See, this also lends credence to my to my theory that it's Coletta on this because Coletta does the next issue and the next issue after that... And the next issue after that, yeah, so... Oh, something yeah. to look forward to. <laughs> exactly. Well, see, I told you the day was coming when the art was going to take a step. <laughs> yeah. Back, and then we're, yeah. we're fast approaching those days, so... Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there are things to look forward to. We got Katanga coming along. Eventually, they do pick up this uh, this cliffhanger, and they do go on a quest uh, for Abner Ravenwood, which I... Only remember that they do. I don't remember any I, details of the story. I can't remember if they really remember it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember how that turns out. So I don't know. We'll just have to see. So I'm not sure exactly what we'll cover next time. I imagine we'll pick Star Wars back up and do at least yep. one story out of the omnibus, and we'll probably do at least one issue of Indie. And beyond that, we'll just have to play it by ear and uh, and see how it all shakes out. Shakes <laughs> out. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available 
Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Freaks.